Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Pathology and the Chair of Pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to a new episode of Mod Pass Chat. My guests today are two renowned experts in lung cancer, Dr. Sanjay Mukhopadhyaya and Dr. Munisha Sudarshan from Cleveland Clinic, Ohio. Sanjay is the Director of Pulmonary Pathology at the Cleveland Clinic. He is, by the way, uh, one of our associate editors in Modern Past, taking care of all the exciting stuff in social media. As, as you all probably the listeners know, he's a rock star on social media. Dr. Sudarshan is a thoracic surgeon at the Department of Thoracic Surgery at Cleveland Clinic. And if I'm not mistaken, she's our first clinician uh, guest. So uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Sudarshan, and welcome both of you to the podcast. They are here today to discuss the recent Modern Pathology editorial on spread through air spaces, STAS. So I didn't know this term before uh, the article related uh, to this editorial, but uh, probably we should uh, start learning about this and hence they are here. So their editorial is titled STAS on Frozens, Too Much Too Soon. And thank you both for joining me today to discuss this. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, George. Thank you for having us. All right. Yeah, so that, I think that's the, uh, you know, the key question is what is TAS? And this is something that uh, I think general surgical pathologists may or may not have heard, you know, because it's a relatively new thing in lung pathology. And what TAS is really is literally spread through air spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and the acronym was created for the concept that some tumor cells um, don't just stop at the tumor edge, you know, the the edge of the main lesion, the nodule or the mass, but they actually uh, fall into the lung parenchyma that's beyond the edge of the main tumor. So in, within the alveoli. 
and the the idea was that they're not just falling into it is what we used to think before you know before these uh-huh. papers came out we just thought that this is artifact you know these these tumors are fragile maybe it's uh, the way you're cutting it maybe it's fixation maybe whatever or or just discohesion in a poorly differentiated tumor but we just thought of it as a sort of an artifactual finding where tumor cells would just be present in the alveoli beyond that. But the spread through air spaces concept holds that these tumor cells are actually actively spreading into those alveoli. So they're moving into those alveoli beyond the edge of the main tumor and are spreading into the lung on that basis. The idea being that this is correlated with prognosis. I got it. So Sanjay, yeah. So I'm I'm glad you started with that because really the definition and as I mentioned in the introduction, it's not something uh, we've heard of before. Uh, those of us who don't do lung every day, but uh, uh, the 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 is this just related to a certain type of adeno, or uh, is it a certain grade, or or you can you can have that mechanism of spread not just in bronchialveolar, uh, the old bronchialveolar. Yeah, it, it actually, one of the best known um, sort of variants of uh, lung adenocarcinoma or growth patterns of lung adenocarcinoma that does this is the micropapillary mm-hmm. variant. So when you have a micropapillary uh, growth pattern in a lung adenocarcinoma, especially if it's really very prominent, those are the types of tumors where STAS tends to be most uh, you know, striking. So there you see a lot of tumor in the in the alveolar spaces beyond the main tumor. You also see a lot of in, lymphatic invasion. You tend to see also lymph, lymph node metastasis. And so, you know, as you know, micropapillary growth is, is a poor prognostic indicator in, in mm. a wide variety of tumors, not just lung cancer. And so it's not surprising that something that is associated with a micropapillary growth pattern is also poor prognostic indicator. And in fact, some of the people who questioned this TAS concept in the beginning, said, well, maybe it's just a covariate of of the micropapillary growth pattern. But in fact, uh, it's not only micropapillary growth that's associated with it. So it it can be seen in other growth patterns too. Like lipidic. Yes, Uh, not lipidic, but but the solid, you know, solid asinar, for example, can be associated with it. But the lipidic ones tend not to have it because the lipidic growth pattern uh, is very low grade, currently thought to be very low grade and in many instances thought to be non-invasive. So it should not be associated with STAS Excellent. or with, uh, you know, lymphatic invasion or, or poor prognosis. And uh, from, uh, since we have the great opportunity of having a thoracic surgeon with us, uh, Dr. Sudarshan, from, from your point of view, why, why STAS is important? Why do you even ask the pathologist about it? Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of press for STAS in the thoracic surgery world in these last few years, mostly because overall in thoracic surgery and lung resections, we're moving towards taking off as little lung as required with still getting the same oncological outcomes. And so we're seeing a lot of trials, randomized control trials on sublobar resections versus lobectomies for lung cancer. And we have a few good guidelines out there for sublobar resections, such as, well, less than two centimeters, no presence of N1 disease. So we often send our N1 lymph nodes for frozen, which would make us convert to a lobectomy. 
And recently we have seen in the literature that STAS is a negative prognostic factor, especially for sublobar resections being wedge resections or segmentectomies. And so that's making us think whether this is a decision we can do intraoperatively, convert a sublobar resection to a lobectomy if clearly STAS is going to be associated with recurrence and lower survival, um, or is if we cannot decide on this intraoperatively, is this, is this a subgroup of patients that will have to return back to the operating room for a completion lobectomy? So that's where it has got a lot of press and um, uh, attention. So it's not a it's not a trivial issue because you may bring patients back and uh, and and hence which bring us to the editorial and more importantly probably the associated article by Zhao uh, et al. So uh, uh, can we touch on that, uh, please? Either one of you, Sanjay, maybe you start. Yeah, uh, you know this this paper was really very important. This modern pathology paper. Because it, for the first time, I think, uh, well, maybe not the first time, but one of the most comprehensive looks at whether not just STAS can be evaluated, but, but whether STAS can be evaluated at frozen section with accuracy. Really, that was the main question because STAS has been looked at extensively by many, many different groups. And uh, like Monisha mentioned, you know, the association with prognosis, lymphatic invasion, et cetera, um, is pretty clear cut now from, from many papers. What is not really well established is whether you can reliably diagnose TAS at frozen section. And that was the question that the Zhao paper uh, looked at. So they, I, I think the study was done at NYU and uh, Mass General. So there are two different uh, cohorts here that they combined to, to look at a uh, total of 163 lung adenovirus. Exactly. And so they looked at, uh, you know, uh, the presence or absence of STAS at frozen, and then use the permanent section as a you know gold gold standard or ground truth. Um, interestingly, you know they they concluded that the frozen section control slide. So let's say your frozen section was block A one, the control. So the permanent for block A one would not be the adequate gold standard because if artifacts were introduced by the frozen section. It's going to remain. It's going to be reflected in the permanent for that. So they use the permanent as, you know, presumably from the other sections as their sort of gold standard. So the unfrozen tissue as their gold standard. And what they found, you know, just to uh, summarize a very complicated article, what they found is that neither the sensitivity nor the specificity of this uh, frozen section assessment were ideal. So the numbers are actually... 55% sensitivity, very, very low in line with what's been reported previously. And even the specificity was, although higher than the sensitivity was pretty low. So 80% uh, specificity, meaning that, you know, um, a proportion of the time when they called it, when they said there was no STAS at frozen section, there was STAS on the permanence. And when they said there was no uh, STAS, there was, you know, so both ways they were wrong. And in fact, they did a very, interesting and important analysis, they said, what percentage of cases would then inappropriately get a lobectomy based on the STAS alone in these cases? And they found that 13 of those 163 cases would have gotten an inappropriate lobectomy, which um, comes down to 8%. So the question really then is, are we uh, willing to accept this kind of an error rate in clinical practice? Are you willing to accept that 8% of cases will be uh, inappropriately, inappropriately sent to lobectomy. And I think that's really a question that 
Monisha and her group have to have to answer. You know, is exactly. this so Monisha? I would like to hear your thoughts on that. With how that paper impacts your. Yeah, so would you rather that, would you rather uh, miss you know do overdo uh, overtreat eight percent or bring them back? What what's what's your what's the surgical? Yeah, I, I think that was a very unique analysis that this paper did uh, to put that into context, uh, because as Sanjay said, we already know it's a poor prognostic factor. It's interesting that they mentioned 8%. Um, and they also looked at whether uh, this, how this would vary with high grade and low grade histology. So there's some um, variability within that 8%. I think as uh, as a surgeon, one of the most important factors we would take in mind is um, also these patients who are getting sublobar resections are probably getting it for other reasons, such as poor pulmonary reserve, uh, advanced age, or other comorbidities. And in that case, I think I would accept that 8%. And it's it's a nice number to have because you can have that discussion possibly preoperatively. And in addition, be prepared for it postoperatively if you do see STAS. And this is probably uh, an area of research for in the future, whether if we do identify STAS, now can this uh, population, if they're not eligible for a lobectomy, get adjuvant therapy, chemotherapy, possibly radiation or immunotherapy. Um, so I think that number of 8% would vary depending on why we're doing the sublobar resection, but it's a good one to work with. Excellent. So, and I think uh, the study looked at, uh, did it, uh, you know, the relationship to recurrence-free survival or disease-free survival, right? And and can you, uh, one of you comment on that, like the grade apparently did better than, than presence of STAS or not, right? Yes. Manisha, do you want to address it? Yeah, so I think they, they showed that the grade of STAS, correct me if, if I'm wrong, that definitely affects the, the prevalence of STAS. Uh, the grade of the tumor affects the prevalence of STAS. And they also interestingly show that the um, long-term recurrence or survival is not associated with frozen section, but it's associated with the, um, the permanent section. So that also... Um, pushes us to really question the utility of frozen section and the pressure that we put our pathologists under uh, while waiting for an answer to convert to a lobectomy, because if it's not going to make a difference to our patients um, on long-term survival, then why do the frozen section or rely on it? Yes, I think, well, you know, one point they made was uh, if you get into the nuance of what really correlated with recurrence-free survival and so forth, that uh, STAS on permanence did correlate, but STAS on frozens did not. Uh -huh. However, grade on frozens did seem to correlate. So I think what they're trying to sell here is that if you're trying to upgrade to a lobectomy, what they're trying to say is that maybe grade is a better thing to assess on frozens than stasis. I think that's the, the well what they're said. trying to sell. Yeah. Very well said. Which, uh, which, uh, Manisha, you know, we love surgeons who are trying to be kind to the pathologist and not make us sweat so much on frozen sections. So if if we can give you the grade and we feel a little bit easier about that rather than distinguishing an artifact from staff, that probably will help you. But again, like you mentioned, this is not the only criteria you're going by. You're going by the size and comorbidities and and many things. And something to remember that communication during intraoperative consultation that is not all the weight is on the shoulder of the pathologist she or he you know should should be communicating with the surgeon very well and, and trying to see what what's our objective there right 
Yeah, that, that is an interesting point because I have to say, I don't often think about the grade on a frozen section uh, as a decision-making point, be, you know. So if that is going to be the new sort of direction that we're headed towards. Um, and the other question I had for Sanjay, and perhaps, you know, I know at our institution, we're now at least thinking about STAS at every permanent section, but how is this applicable to generally the institutions out there across the country? Are other people reporting STAS um, routinely? You know, I think what's changed the um, uh, the requirement to report STAS is the CAP template. So, not, so the College of American Pathologists has a template that we use, that many pe people use in their, uh, you know, synoptic template reporting. And so what happened um, within the last few years is that somebody uh, introduced uh, STAS as one of the synoptic template reporting things. So now we are forced to report it. So whether you believe STAS is real or not and what the significance is, it is, the fact that the CAP requires it to be reported means that we you have to report it. So people who are using the CAP template will by default be reporting STAS in their in their lobectomy specimens. Now, uh, but that's that does not mean right? that they reported at frozen, though. Correct. That's yeah. on permanent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is uh, which is good because it sounds like that that may have some value. But uh, as as you conclude in your uh, in your uh, editorial, uh, clearly this is just a first study uh, or or one of the early studies, and and more is needed. But uh, it seems to be pointing to that direction. So uh, I, I love the title, and and you finish also with the same is uh, is uh, too much too soon, right? You think it is? Both of you, you're convinced? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, you know it's a good idea. Every time somebody who's trying to sell a concept that other people are validated, you know, in, in separate studies. I think that's a, one really good thing about science is that we, the first time something exciting comes along, we are excited by it, but then we try to, you know, we trust, but verify. <laughs> that old saying, there trust, but verify. Here so it's good that other people try to verify it. So same thing with the, with the zoo idea, actually. So when they say that grade is, um, uh, uh, you know, a valid thing to to assess on frozen sections. I think others should now try to validate that and, and see if it's verifiable. Correct. Because as Manisha said, currently they don't expect that from us, right. but before we start making it a need. Excellent. Well, uh, this uh, has been very, very enjoyable and uh, informative. And I, uh, I love that uh, you guys were asking you each other questions. So uh, maybe we should start doing more of that, inviting clinicians and uh, uh, hope to have both of you again here on the podcast uh, in future uh, studies. And uh, thank you both for supporting the journal. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you both. Thank you. I've really enjoyed our discussion as well. Thank you so much, George. Thank you. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Neto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.